welcome back to the European show. This is episode 17 and we're back as always to look at the football and any news that has happened over the past week or so. And to join me as always is Nick. So welcome back Nick. How are you? I'm doing very well Jack. Uh, you sound a bit down today. Are you are you right Jack? I am and we'll get to that later on because it's linked to what we'll start off with is we will start with the Bundesliga as we've had our first twist really in the title race as on Saturday Leverkusen had a tough game against RB Leipzig and you'd think okay this is another one of those games where like the team has to um like you need to win these type of games to if you want to be champion and so Leverkusen go into this game against Leipzig and in the first half they get absolutely dominated um Leipzig are by far the better team and they take the lead from a great goal as well from Javi Simmons then Leverkusen kind of really just hang on in the first half and they kind of ride their luck then obviously half time happens and straight away in the first half or second half they they equalize and Leverkusen begin to start to like get into the groove again and dominate the game then Leipzig score again as from a counter then you think okay now Leverkusen have to do it again then they equalise again from a corner. And then Leverkusen start to put the pressure on more and more and more. And you think, okay, are they going to be able to do this? You know, can they turn this around and, and win this game again? Like at the death. And lo and behold, they do it again. They they score from another corner. This time it's Piero Hincapier um, who scored. They end up winning the game 3 2 and extend their lead at the top ahead of Bayern to seven points. Um, Bayern obviously at that point had two games in hand. And so this was another like real mentality type of game that Leverkusen needed to um to really prove that they are not the best the best team that we can compare them to is Dortmund of last year. This game proved that they're nothing like Dortmund of last year and that they really currently have the the bollocks to do this type of thing, you know. We've saw last at times last season where Dortmund kind of threw away the games and ended up losing. They this isn't what Leverkusen have done now and they've been put in this position twice in two games. Um, obviously there is the age old Neverkusen nickname that comes with them because of their times from the early two thousands where they threw away everything. Um, so that's always going to be there in the back of the mind. But currently they are showing that they don't have that kind of gene if we want to say of bottling games and bottling just every situation like Dortmund or like this level cruising team of old then we go on to the next day where Bayern Munich are playing quite a below average Werder Bremen team and you really expect Bayern to come away with this with three points um, bearing in mind they also had their midweek game as well but in this game you watch it and you think oh Bayern are actually play, playing quite poorly and Bremen are you know they're actually putting up a decent fight here Bremen scored in the first half but the goal was disallowed because of a foul so much earlier on um, but that was really like a it should have been really been a warning shot for Bayern um, but they didn't take it and then Bremen continue to make it difficult for, for, for Bayern mainly through their goalkeeper but then in in the second half Bremen somehow take the lead and then they see out the game and win it 1-0. Uh, meaning at that moment, um, Bayern was seven points behind Leverkusen. Um, now, obviously, Bayern had their midweek game against Union Berlin, which they won. 
They are now four points behind on Leverkusen with the same amount of games played. Um, it's not an ideal situation for Bayern, if we're being honest, because they did not look good against Union Berlin, especially considering the fact Union have been terrible this season. And so now, these next few weeks are quite important for both Leverkusen and Bayern. This all will culminate in two weeks' time when Leverkusen host Bayern Munich. Um, but these next two games will be a big deci- deciding factor in a lot of the season. Because Leverkusen play Borussia Mönchengladbach, um, who have not really been that good. So they're at home and Leverkusen are very good at home. Um, especially against a Gladbach team that doesn't really know how to defend. Leverkusen should win this game. Uh, whereas Bayern, they play Augsburg. Augsburg gave Leverkusen a run for their money, uh, not last weekend, the weekend before, and they needed a late goal to equalise, whereas Bayern had also struggled at Augsburg last season and, in fact, lost the game. So, and this is a completely like rejuvenated light, uh, Augsburg team as well, and especially with Bayern Munich's host of injuries, it's not looking that good for them. Um... And then the next weekend, Bayern then play Borussia Mönchengladbach, who are their bogey team. And again, they have a, a good set of injuries. And then obviously they play Leverkusen. Um, so it's... <clears throat> Hypothetically, Leverkusen go win these next two games. Bayern don't win one of them. Bayern will be 5-2. to eight points, seven points behind Leverkusen, um, heading into a game against Leverkusen. And I'm not going to say, oh, let's wrap it up, because Bayern threw away their points the last season. But if Bayern go into against Leverkusen, like even four or five points behind, and they lose this game, which they did last season as well, it's not looking good for them. Yeah, I I, I do agree. Last season there, and there was a difference that Yes, while Dortmund was ahead on points, um, they weren't pl- playing particularly well. And um, Bayern, as usually happens with early Tuchel teams, they were looking quite strong. And now it's it's quite the opposite. Le- Leverkusen generally just looks like the better team in most of their games, exception being when they played Leipzig, which is quite a formidable uh, opponent. Um, and meanwhile, Bayern, <laughs> Bayern just look really bad. They're... Um, they're just like idealists, they're slow, um, they can't progress the ball and it's just hoping that Harry Kane can do something with with it and it's just it's just not a good way to go with it and, and they're just momentum on, on Leverkusen's side and so I, I, I see it unlikely that they capitulate like the, like the Dortmund teams of old really. And so it's not the only big story in German football now um, because today it was announced that Jurgen Klopp will leave his role as Liverpool manager. Obviously, this will bring to an end nearly 10 years at the club where he's won everything. Um, He is Liverpool's greatest manager in the past 40 years. You could make the argument that he may be the greatest, but that depends on your generation. He's also one of the greatest Premier League managers ever, and he kind of single-handedly stopped the Premier League fully becoming a farmer's league, if we're being honest. Because without him, Manchester City would have run away with the league several times. Um, but 
this has a ripple effect on German football at the moment. So Klopp has said he, he won't manage for a year, but that's not the main thing. Obviously, I imagine the DFB want to take Jurgen Klopp as their manager because they've wanted to for God knows how long. But the thing is, Nagelsmann's contract expires as Germany manager in the summer. Nagelsmann isn't going to stay on as Germany manager. He's not a national team manager, as well as the fact that Germany is so bad at the moment, they need like a complete refresh and overhaul. And then it's the fact of Jabby Alonso as well. Obviously, these, in my opinion, are the two candidates who will probably should replace Jurgen Klopp. Um, I'm not saying it will happen this summer, but those two are the main candidates that I think that should replace him um, because they're both young and you can truly build something good again. Um, obviously, Nagelsmann wants to try and like get his revenge kind of in Bayern, against Bayern Munich and he can take charge of like a proper top team that actually backs him, such as Liverpool. And he can kind of... Being manager of Bayern Munich is a bit like being in a cesspit. Um it's very toxic and like you know, there's a lot of pressure there. Whereas if you go to Liverpool, you're kind of like out of the spotlight in the sense of in Germany. So you can kind of get away from it and he can actually focus on his job um, and he can actually have support from the team or the the, the, the directors and the owners and stuff. Um, but for me, obviously, you could say, oh, it's it could partially be recency bias, but Xabi Alonso is probably... The number one person, he obviously the job he's done at Leverkusen, turning the team around into what they are now, um, is obviously no mean feat, especially how they're doing it. But I think Alonso taking over really depends on what happens from now until the summer, because if 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 I I do not think. Alonso will look at Bayern Munich and think that like project appeals to him, especially if he comes away from Leverkusen winning the league, because there's nothing that that's nothing new at Bayern, and you can just get the challenge is the Champions League, but challenge for the Champions League you can do in somewhere else, such as Liverpool. So I think if Lev- if Leverkusen win the league, Alonso will look at the situation and he'll either go. I've done all I can and he'll leave and that's when the door will open for Liverpool or he'll look at it and be like okay I have unfinished business here even if he's won the league Um, and I think he'll want to try and maybe do it again and have another shot at the Champions League because also he may I'm not saying Leverkusen are going to win the Champions League next year but obviously he was he did lead Leverkusen in the Champions League last year and he turned them around and managed to help them scrape a place in the Europa League ahead of Atletico Madrid, I would like to point out. And, yeah, because Leverkusen could end up with three trophies at the end of the season. Um, and he could really look at it and think, OK, I've, there's nothing more I can do. Let me try a different challenge and go to Liverpool. Or he stays at Leverkusen. Those are the two options that I think for him. Um, I don't know what you think, um, Nick. I think it it sounds from um from Klopp's words like he's not planning on taking any new jobs anytime soon. It looks like he's gonna take at least a year off because because he cited the reason for him leaving, saying that he was mentally tired. Um, so that's not the words of someone who is going to move directly into a new job, especially not a club job. Um, so he definitely wouldn't move 
into, for example, Bayern Munich, should Tuchel be fired. Maybe he could do a, a, a the Germany job, for example. But I think that's still unlikely. I think that what's more likely to happen is Germany to smell that he needs time, appoint an interim uh, for a year, perhaps, and then get Klopp to come in after that year. But he's not going anywhere anytime soon, I think. Uh, so I think he's just out of the picture for uh, for the time being. Meanwhile, I think it does make more sense for Xabi Alonso, personally, uh, to take the Liverpool job. I think uh, he's more well-suited to the players and to kind of the team that Klopp will be leaving behind. I think he's personally more aligned to it. He used to be a Liverpool player himself. Um, he likes dynamic attacking. He likes the kind of style that Liverpool have been culturing over the last few years. Um, and it, it it's more challenging to, to manage in the Premier League than to manage Bayern Munich. Um, and Liverpool is a, a team that can make Champions League finals. Under most considerations, Xabi um, Alonso would be going to Liverpool. It, it's what makes the most sense. And in, then in that case, that would leave um, Nagelsmann hypothetically in, in the situation with the choice of going to Dortmund or Leverkusen. But like, come on, Dortmund are like eternal chokers and they never back their managers and their squad is all over the place. Meanwhile, Leverkusen have just shown that they're, they're fucking serious. Like... <laughs> So I, if if this were to happen, in in the sense that Klopp doesn't really go anywhere and Shabalonzo leaves his Leverkusen post, I think it'd be quite attractive for um for it to be a return to club football, for uh, Nagelsmann, especially because he's good at like the medium good clubs, like when he has to manage an elite uh team, like Bayern, he, he kind of struggles a bit more. Like he wasn't bad there, but he he couldn't quite hack it, but um but he's been good at. At those teams that are almost the best, like Leverkusen, for example. I mean, Dortmund as well, technically. But as we just said, like, who does what at Dortmund? So yeah, that's that's kind of how I see it uh, developing. Klopp. Klopp, Klopp does well at Dortmund. Klopp does well at Dortmund. Klopp, Klopp has also been one of the best five managers in the Premier League era. So now we'll have our break, and then we'll be back with La Liga and the Copa del Rey. Welcome back from our break, where we will now look at the Copa del Rey and La Liga, where, well, a lot has really happened. Yep, uh, we'll begin with, with La Liga. Um, first, we saw some standard results from kind of most clubs. Atleti beat Granada 1-0, kind of a hard-fought game. They looked a bit tired from the extra time of the midweek game, but uh, but they managed to pull through. Um, as you would expect, Girona completely nuked Sevilla with a 5-1 win. Girona are good, Sevilla suck, what's new? Then Barcelona, quite impressively, uh, got a convincing victory against um, Betis. Barcelona, as what we had criticised multiple times in the past, are often sluggish and, and don't really look that strong. But uh, but in this game, this is one of those games where they kind of pull themselves together and we're like, okay, this is a bit scary if we lose this, so we, we have to do well here. Um, and indeed, they... Uh, they managed to pull through and, and get a strong 4-2 win. They were 2-0 up at halftime uh, before Isco managed to equalise. But then, uh, well, Joel Felix scored a nice goal from the edge of the box to give him the lead. And then Ferran Torres actually completed a hat-trick in the 92nd minute. 
Um, so it's just one of those games where kind of individual players really pulled themselves up and were like, okay, we win this. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Barcelona started with a with a seventeen year old um, centre back, Cubarsi, uh, who played quite well actually. Um, Barcelona are kind of struggling in terms of in terms of centre backs, and Cubarsi covered the role quite well actually. Um, he will be featured later. Then in other parts of La Liga, uh, Valencia beat Athletic Club one 0 and then the game that made headlines, Real Madrid 3 Almeria 2. Minute 1, uh, Largi Ramazani puts Almeria ahead in the Bernabeu. Everyone goes apeshit. Like, like apeshit. Uh, obviously, you expect Real Madrid to react and immediately equalize. Uh, but quite the opposite happened. They just kind of seemed stunned and didn't really know what to do. And while, while they managed to push Almeria back a little bit, um, suddenly just... Amelia's centre-back roams high up, catches a volley with his left foot, nets it top right corner. It makes no sense. Um, the away end goes nuts. They're, they're nil, nil, well, they're 2-0 they're up, playing away. They have no wins this season, and it's January. And suddenly they're beating Real Madrid at halftime. And, and so obviously Real Madrid are shocked. Uh, nobody knows what's happening. And suddenly the referee decides to get involved. Um, minute 57, penalty for Real Madrid. Uh, indeed, there is a handball uh, by an Almeria player, but also indeed there's a very blatant and obvious foul from Rudiger on um, on one of Almeria's defenders. Like, there's just no question about it. Like, like anyone, I, I was watching it on Dutch TV, and Dutch commentators are pretty impartial. Like, like, like they, they don't bullshit you. But here they were like, guys, <laughs> he actually just holds him down and doesn't let him header. It's the most obvious like foul before the penalty you've ever seen. Um, but VAR doesn't care, and because anyways. Um, and golden boy Jude Bellingham slots it away neatly, uh, make it 2-1. Um, unfortunately for Real Madrid, they conceded shortly after that uh, on a counter in which Ramazani breaks off uh, and then gives an assist for uh, for just a good counter-attack goal against Real Madrid. But in the build-up to the counter-attack, Bellingham essentially took a dive uh, when he lost the ball to whoever ended up passing it to Ramazani. Uh, and so VAR sees that, is like, this is obviously a crippling foul. Uh, the goal must be ruled out. Uh, I think that's debatable. It, it, is the, it is the most debatable out of all three controversial refereeing decisions. So, like, I can see why someone would rule this goal out. But I don't agree with it. But I can see why someone would do it. Even though it was a dive. Moving on. Right now the game is a little bit spoiled now. And you can see the the faces of of the Almeria players. They're not they're not super happy, um, and it just gets worse. Um, ball gets crossed in. Vinicius kind of catches it strangely, and he knocks it in. And you're like, what happened there? Uh, on the replay, Vinicius just puts it in with his arm. Like like there is no ambiguity. He actually just puts it in with his arm. Like like it is just a handball goal from from any way you look at it. Any angle you see it, he just, he just, <laughs> he just puts it in with his arm. Like there's no, there's nothing else to say. Like just watch it. You watch it from two angles, and you're like, oh, I see. Um, and that just kind of, well, it equalizes the game. Match completely ruined. Uh, and Medias manager goes apeshit uh, for good reason, and then obviously gets sent off. 
Uh, and then from then on, just the Almeria players are crushed. They hate everything. They hate life. Um, they're just depressed from head to toe. Um, plus 11 minutes of added time, which ended up being 15. Um, just ended up stretching the tired Almeria players too far. Um, and then the only legitimate, non-controversial goal this game uh, from Real Madrid was scored by, by Carvajal after a really, really good first-time assist from Bellingham. But, like, what the fuck is this? Like, like, like what the fuck is this? Like, like <laughs> what, what do you want me to tell you? <laughs> how, how you can't take Spanish football seriously when this just happens, like, like in your face. It's not, like, one controversial... It's, it's the whole game. It's just... The, it's every influential moment in this game was just affected by refereeing decisions by by like actually incorrect factually wrong inter like 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 what like what is this it just doesn't make sense it i i i really think that spanish football needs needs to look and 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 then they'll go out and say that oh no it's barcelona pays the refs and whatever the fuck i mean it doesn't matter if you pay the refs or not if they treat you this way there's obviously some favoritism but it's obviously making the competition just bad so yeah, this left uh, a lot of people heated, including me, obviously, because it's just bad for football. <sighs> but taking a deep breath and moving on to the Copa, I don't even, I don't even want to talk about the standings. Like, you, you look at them yourself. Like, anyways, um, in the Copa, uh, I'm not going to talk about the Barcelona game right now, or else I'm just going to get angry. Mallorca smacked Girona really badly, actually. Um, they just came out stronger. They were playing at home. Um, right off the bat, just Kyle Lowry and Adam Prats just bang, 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 a 3-0 up by halftime. Girona were reeling. Um, and then, very stupidly, uh, one of one of Mallorca's centre-backs gives away a penalty. It's like, okay, like you can give away a penalty. You're 3-0 up. Um, he's, he gets booked. But then he starts arguing about being booked with the ref. And then, unsurprisingly, the ref uh, gives him a second yellow. And then he gets sent off. Uh, so, so now... Uh, Mallorca is left with 10 men having a penalty conceded, uh, which uh, Stuani scores. So Stuani, the game is 3-1, and they're down to 10 men for the re- remaining half an hour of the match. Um, Girona, being a good team, discounting the fact that they sucked for the first 45 minutes, uh, know they have to take advantage of this, and they just press Mallorca. Mallorca do manage to hold through, even though they conceded a 96-minute goal from, from Savio, but it did look it did look very close at, at times. Um, and Mallorca just managed to scrape through, uh, which is very annoying because obviously me and uh, Jack had been taking our little bets yesterday and saying how Girona had a pretty easy run through <laughs> to winning the whole competition. So that 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 serves us right, I guess. Uh, on the other end of the draw, uh, Sociedad fairly comfortably dispatched Celta Vigo. Uh, Oyer Sabal and Geraldo Becker just had them up 2-0 for most of the game. Uh, Luca del Torre in the 92nd scored the 2-1, but didn't, nothing much happened. Um, Atleti beat Sevilla. Not a particular surprise. It was difficult for Atleti, um, mostly because of how little uh, Sevilla tried to actually get out of their own box. It was just an exercise of, yeah, put 11 players behind the ball. If you catch a counter, see what happens. But uh, Sevilla did pretty much nothing the, the entire game uh, other than sit back. And they defended quite well. Um, Aliti had, like I think, one shot on target in the first 60 minutes. But, uh, but eventually Correa managed to dribble through and 
slot the ball into Depay, who scored, and well, just good night for Sevilla. They're just not a good team. Um, and then Barcelona FD Club. Well, the better team went through, like by far. Um, Athletic minute one just surprised Barcelona, give them a, a bit of a jump scare right from the from 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 the first whistle, uh, and they just take advantage that once again Barcelona was sleeping on the job. Uh, they go one 0 up, and suddenly Barcelona has to turn the game around in San Mamés, one of the hardest stadiums in all of Spain. Um, they managed to get themselves back into the game surprisingly well. Um, Athletic was still slightly dominant uh, over them, but Barcelona could sometimes get good possessions of the ball and move the ball around um, and, and and effectively enough, uh, Lewandowski scored a good number nine goal to kind of equalize it, just poaching a floating ball and slamming it in. Um, and then Lamine Yamal, uh, Barcelona's young wonder kid, shows that he's the shit. Um, and just kind of goes around, dribbles uh, in, in into the edge of the box and just curls it in to the bottom left. And you're like, perfect. Barcelona are now winning. Um, you now want them to defend as well as they can and make it through because they've done the job. They did the hardest part, which is to turn this difficult game around. Uh, they're going to have time. They go out and they're sleeping again. Uh, for some reason, Frankie de Jong is in the centre-back position. I don't know where Christensen went. I don't think he knows where he went. Uh, but a ball is crossed in three minutes after halftime uh, is over. Frankie de Jong is clueless. No no idea that uh, that uh, Sunset is standing right behind him. Doesn't jump, doesn't try anything. Uh, turns around, Sunset has scored. Uh, it's 2-2. Then throughout the entire second half, especially the first half an hour, Athletic just like were on Barcelona's ass. Um it it really was just pure pressure and it's 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 a miracle Barcelona didn't concede during this time. Um they managed to take the game to extra time, but everyone could see that there was only one team that was going to that was going to make it through. Um sure enough, um Inyaki Williams managed to to dispatch them after uh, catching a lucky rebound from a missed shot of that he took himself to make it three two. But it it was inevitable like the Inyaki Williams literally came back from AFCON very that day or the day before. Yeah, Inyakulins hadn't started the game because he was at AFCON, so he was obviously very tired. And so he gets subbed on. Like, every time he touched the ball, he was scary. Um, and sure enough, he did end up scoring. Leminimal misses a sitter. Actually, sorry, he missed a sitter while the game was still 2-2. He does the hard part, which is to steal the ball and dribble the keeper. And then he skies it. But he's also 16. <laughs> like, like, okay. <laughs> but but still, like if, if Barcelona doesn't have the firepower to be like doing more against Athletic Club, like that's just on them. Um, and then Nico Williams, who had been Athletic Club's best player through the, through the night um, and linking up really well with his brother, just ends up scoring a really nice Travella goal and putting Barcelona to sleep because like that's what they deserve. They're just not good. <laughs> Barcelona, Barcelona, when they're not on their game, which is like four-fifths of the game they play, are just really bad to watch. Um, they fell asleep. They got punished for it. I don't know what they expected. They were going into San Mamés thinking they can just stroll around and, and qualify to the next round. Uh, speaking of, uh, the next round, Sociedad play Mallorca. Should be an easy game for Sociedad. Like, there's just a big quality difference here. Um, and Athletic Club play Atleti. Um, last time these two teams played, Athletic Bilbao um, very convincingly beat Atleti in the league. Uh, 
So I think Simona will have to seriously reconsider uh, his tactical approach or else we might see a repeat of the 2021 Copa final. So now we will look at Syria where Juventus actually went top of the league for the first time in a while um, as they beat Lecce 3-0 with Dusan Vlahovic scoring twice. Vlahovic has been on a bit of a goal-scoring run, scoring five goals in the past four games. And yeah, uh, Juventus, the only reason though Juventus have gone top is because of Inter Milan not playing as they were in Saudi Arabia at the Supercoppa. Um, Milan beat Udinese 3-2 with a late goal from Noah Okafor. But it is also worth noting that this game was marred um, due to racist chanting towards Mike Magnon um, in the Milan goal. In the Supercoppa, um, Inter won after beating Napoli 1-0. Inter were obviously last season's Hercop Vitale winners, whereas Napoli were last season's Serie A winners. Inter did need a late goal from Lautaro Martinez um, to win them the Supercoppa for, I think, the second year in a row. But this year there was a different format. Um, The format was similar to to the Spanish Supercup where Napoli played last season's Coppa Italia runners-up Fiorentina and Inter played Lazio, who were last season's Serie A runners-up. Um, and Daniel De Rossi's first game in charge at Roma ended with a 2-1 win against Hellas Verona. For the first time in a while, I've seen Roma start with a back four and it really looks like a crime against humanity. Um, so now we will have our anthem break and then we'll be back with Le- or France. Welcome back from an anthem break where you just said the Athletic Bilbao anthem. So, Nick, what do you rate it out of 10? Uh, it's good enough. It, it has its energy. It's a bit old-fashioned, but uh, 6? Yeah, 6 is right. A good of a 5. It's quite notoriously boring. Yeah, you're a hater. So now we'll look at France, where 
Liga was had a break, and the Copa, not the Copa, the Coupe de France um, took over. And in normal circumstance, oh, not normal. Norm, they're all the big teams. Norm won, so PSG won, Lyon won, Lille won. Uh, Marseille didn't win because they played Rennes, who obviously are also a Ligue 1 team. But what's interesting is there are some lower league teams still in the competition. Okay, um, we saw Le Puy beat uh, Dunkirk 2-1. Uh, I mean, now in the round of 16, there is a fourth division French team, um, which is obviously quite interesting. They're drawn against a second division team, so I think we all think it's quite unlikely that they'll make it through. Uh, but somehow, even more interestingly, uh, some priests beat uh, Rome, um, Romorantin 4-1, um, meaning that not only is there a 4th division team, but there's also a 5th division team um, in the round of 16, which is obviously crazy. Um, they're also drawn against a 2nd division team, and I don't think anyone would have their money on them beating a team literally 3 uh, leagues above them. But, uh, but anyone can dream, and it would be quite fun to see, I think. So we'll we'll see how it how it goes. The game that could potentially cause an upset is Rouen versus Monaco, and Rouen are in the third division, um, and they did draw with Toulouse and beat them on penalties to get to this position. And now, the I'm pretty sure they were the only team that were left unbeaten, like with a hundred percent record in Europe. PSV have now not won a game. Um. Yes, I I think what you're referring to was the fact that um. PSV were the only team in Europe to have literally won every single one of their league games, uh, which is obviously ridiculous. Um, and I think everyone's amazed that it lasted this long. I don't think there's ever been a team this dominant uh, before. They won their first 17 games in a row, and that finally, sadly, came to an end um, last weekend when they drew playing away against Utrecht. Uh, they drew 1-1. Obviously, it's a difficult team and a uh, fairly difficult to, to play away there by Eredivisie standards. Uh, so I don't think anyone can blame them for uh, finally slightly loosening their um, monster dominance. But um, but they did draw, they lost uh, their record. Johan Bakayoko uh, gave them the lead, but uh, it only lasted till the 55th minute where Utrecht drew um, and PSV just couldn't uh, push through. Maybe it's fatigue, maybe it's They've been kind of found out. Obviously, they haven't been properly because no one's beaten them yet. Um, maybe it's a mixture of both. But uh, I think now we'll maybe see some other teams beginning to chip a few points here and there off of PSV. But if I'm being honest, they've still won the league. Like They're, they're 10 points ahead of Feyenoord. Nothing's going to happen. Uh, but speaking of exactly these two teams, it was, uh, even worse for, uh, it was an even worse week for PSV. Uh, because not only did they lose their um, winning record in the league, but they also got knocked out of the Dutch Cup uh, on Wednesday. They lost to Feyenoord in a, in a well-contested and, and close game. It ended 1-0. Uh, Quinton Timber uh, put Feyenoord ahead, and that's just kind of how it ended. Uh, they were playing in Rotterdam, which has obviously made it more difficult for, for PS, PSV. But um, yeah, at the end of the day... Final order to just managed to, to pull away the the home win. It's also worth noting that the the draw now in the Kane VB Cup has seen Feyenoord play the team that could most likely beat them as they play AZ Alkmaar. Then you have uh, two second division teams in Groningen 
playing Fortuna Citada and Camber playing Vitesse Arnhem and then Nijmegen play uh, Den Haag. Um, we also had some cup action in Belgium. Why is this relevant, you may ask? It was because it is the derby of Brussels, or one of the derby of Brussels, yeah, where you had Union Saint-Gerois playing Anderlecht. Saint-Gerois 1-2-1. Um, which sees them head into the semi-finals of the Crocky Cup, where they play Club Bruges. Um, the other game is Ostend versus Antwerp. However, you do it again at the weekend, where Anderlecht host Union Saint-Gerois. Obviously, this is a game with maybe a bit more to it, as Saint-Gerois are first, Anderlecht are second, but if Union Saint-Gerois win, they can extend the lead to 11 points um, at the top of the table. Obviously, this okay. is all pretty irrelevant. In- We've been talking about Saint-Gilles almost winning the league for the last two years now. So Exactly. Um, but this time they look a lot more dominant. Um, if you want to, if you are interested, which most people probably know this anyway, but the third team that is in Belgium is um, RWD Molenbeek, who are languishing in the relegation places. So that is it for today. Thank you for listening. Please like us, follow us and subscribe. And we will be back next week thank you very much and we will see you later